Welcome to the Burning Eye Podcast, West of Centre and Never Knowingly Mainstream. Welcome to uh, episode seven of the Burning Eye podcast. I'm Jen Hart and I'm currently sat on the floor in the lovely home of Rebecca Tantoni. Um, I'm joined by Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Uh, Malaika. Hello. And Tommy. Hi. Um, and we're all sat in a circle around the microphone like like a coven a little bit. It's quite nice. I like it. I'm enjoying the, the circular vibe. Of, yeah, yeah. We are now a coven. Um, we're going to release a book, not unlike the film The Craft. Yeah, we're going to call it The Craft. We're going to call it The Craft. Um, that's going to be great. So look out for that in 2018. I'm going to be the north. Okay, right. North. What am I? You north. You'd be west. West. Yes. I want to wear a leather miniskirt and black lipstick. Okay. So they did The Craft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, really heavy eyeshadow. Yeah. yeah. And push boys through windows at yeah, parties. Yeah, dinner. Yeah. Anyway, can I choose the boy? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you I don't know about a few. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are the weirdos, mister. Today we're just going to be having a little chat about um, what it's like to be a poetry promoter. Um, so a promoter is someone who will usually put on gigs, um, slams, um, organise festival stages sometimes, those kinds of things. Um, so Malaika and Tommy um, are both poetry promoters in Bristol. Malaika runs uh, Milk Poetry um, and Tommy is part of the Hammer and Tongue Bristol team. Um, so Tommy, let's start with how you found Hammer and Tongue and how you got involved with it. Oh, okay, well Hammer and Tongue's obviously been going for quite a few years in Bristol really successfully where way before I became involved in it um, and obviously Rebecca was involved in it when I was involved in it as well at the beginning, which was really nice. It was nice to have a team of people around you that you can, it's really important, I think, to have a team of people that you can trust and that you know are going to get things done and that you respect. Mm. Um, so I'd been to loads of Hammer and Tongues when it was run by, I think, Johnny Fluffy Punk and James Bunting and Sally Jenkinson. Um, and then when they were wanting to step down, um, Sally gave Steve, who's the national like leader, president of Hammer and Tongue, the whole of the UK, um, the big boss guy, um, a list of names. And he sent us all an email, including Rebecca, I think everyone an email and said, you know, who's interested in doing it. And at first there was five of us and it kind of whittled down very quickly, actually, <laughs> to the kind of team, which was me and Rebecca and Tim. Um, but it was it was quite nice because whilst we did need to like establish a venue, another venue, um, it was something that had been going on and being part of a national organisation is really helpful because you have A, their promotion, which isn't necessarily huge, but it is, you've got a lot of, a network of people who can always give you advice about how they're running it in their areas and things like that and that's quite, quite good and also it does mean that we at Hammer and Tongue have a like great prize to offer people because of the the national the regional finals and then the national final and the Albert Hall. So it's nice. I think it's I don't know what Malaika would say about this, but I think when you have an event, particularly if you're starting off, there's got to be something that's going to be a draw that's going to make your event slightly different to other events. Yeah. And I know that with Hammer and Tongue, the fact that if you just if you can win one of our slams, you've got that you know the kudos because it's a national organisation, and then being able to go to the Royal Albert Hall is huge Massive. for people. Yeah, especially so, yeah. for a lot of slammers who are their first time. Yeah, like they're really new to the whole thing, and they've got this amazing thing that they can lead up to. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's incredible. It's such a massive boost in someone's confidence when they're just getting into their sort of writing career. And it's nice as well because it's so accessible. Because mm-hmm. actually you can win a slam on your first time ever slam, right. you know, so audience judged. And the mm. one thing that Steve has been so, Steve Larkin, who is the big boss guy, that he's so strict about is that we always have audience judges and that it is always a completely open field, a playing field, and anything can happen. Mm. So you never know what people are going to like or dislike. And, yes, it helps. It does help. Finding venues is not the easiest of things. Yeah, yeah, I was going to briefly talk about the venue issue um, <laughs> yeah. in a bit because um I kind of had that issue doing DIY punk shows as 
all the venues keep closing down and yeah. finding um, accessible venues as well that you know all people so can, get into. can get into. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that have enough space and the sound and that want to have you as well. Like sometimes you know you get a venue that's like yeah okay and then you're like. Mm. Great. Yeah, I've had that experience recently. It's not been very nice here. But not anymore. We've moved to somewhere much nicer. <laughs> yeah, because Milk, you've moved um, a load of times in the last yeah, year, haven't you? Yeah, because we started at Halo. Um, like the whole thing started because there was a used to be an acoustic night at Halo, sort of open mic with poetry. And um, when I moved here to Bristol, it was just finishing. Mm. And it was really bizarre because me and my friend Graham Chilcott, who's another great poet based in the Southwest, um, we just moved to Bristol around the same sort of time and we were just looking for poetry nights anywhere we could find them because we moved from Devon where there wasn't much of a scene at that point. I think it's grown now but at that point we were starved and we wanted Bristol poetry mm. um, and we went to the Halo and Matt Harvey was there and it was like really full and we found out that that was the last time they were ever going to do that event so we just really quickly hopped in and started milk. Um, but then Halo closed down and we were in the massive panic. Actually, Graham had left by then, so it was just me. I was in massive panic, and I moved the venue like twice. Uh, but now we're at the room above, which is super lovely mm. and such a relief because that venue strife is like it's the last thing you want to be worrying about when you've got so much else to do. Yeah, you know, you want to have a home. Sometimes as well, a venue can fall through mm. like the day before, or we yeah, had yeah. we had the birdcage closed like. We found out on the day or the yeah, day it was the day the actual day. We had to put a note, and we just like to say <laughs> oh, sign on the yeah. door, <laughs> and then desperate phone calls in the afternoon. Yeah, I was at yeah, work, and you were phoning. We were like phoning each other for the last two hours. Yeah. So that's not great. But we we're, we're the same. We've got re- like we really like our new venue, which is the Smoke and Mirrors Bar behind Hippodrome. Mm. It's such a nice venue. It's yeah. really lovely. It's cute. The only problem with it is that it's slightly on the small side, mm. and as a team, we have talked about that quite a few times. But the reality is, is that they retweet us. They love having us there. Mm. They put their hammer and tongue logo up on the on the TV yeah. screen behind us. When I go, there's always. The um, microphone there. There's like, do you want to plug any music in? And it's super easy. Mm-hmm. And he's even going to get me a GoPro because there's a thing they've got on the projector. Oof. They've got a thing so they can actually like record people. And oh wow! And I was like, I'll get one. He's like, oh, we'll just get one as the part of the bar. And I'm just like, I love That's you guys. Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Sweet. And to be fair, it's probably only about ten people too small, mm-hmm. which is. We just squash. We're like, you know what? That's okay. For the benefit, we've talked a lot about it. For the benefit, we're just like, it's just nice. I'm nice to feel wanted. Yeah. That's um, such a big thing. Yeah, it makes mm. a big... Because it just makes your life so much easier. Yeah. So... Yeah, I always find whenever I do gigs, if there's a, a PA there and it's already set up and everything, yeah. I'm like, that's great, it's great. Um, And we, you know, I do a lot of... Um, punk shows at the Stag and Hounds and I've used them quite a lot and um, they're really great you just pay them a fee and they give you the space um, and the back line so that's like the drum kit and all the mics and everything and a great sound engineer as well who's really really friendly and like helps set up everything up and like yeah it really makes a difference when the venue is on board with what you're doing and they're, they want to help you because there's nothing more disheartening than just turning up somewhere and it's just empty and you've got to yeah. Scramble around for chairs and yeah. you know, oh, there's no yeah. microphone. Oh, well, yeah. I'll just have to shout then. Here's a microphone, but there's no sound. At our previous venue, um, we turned up and they totally gutted the room that was the function room we were using. Like they had pews in there before <coughs> and they'd like taken out all the pews, all the chairs. There was like no plaster on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you could, like you might have been able to email me to let me know because there's just yeah. like dust and debris all so over. Like that, did you still do it? Yeah, what we did just like I was with Beth, um, who who helps me out with milk sometimes, and she cycled home and got all these rugs and stuff and laid them down on the floor. Mm. It's like that scene from Friends where Monica sorts out the church and the wedding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but not as funny. <laughs> no, not at all funny. <laughs> Quite stressful as you're trying to yeah. prepare for that. Although I get, I bet everyone kind of got on board with it. That's yeah. that is the nice thing about poetry audiences mm-hmm. is they do tend to kind of be like, "We'll go with this. It's fine." I might be really cold because they've got the air conditioning on and it's December, but we'll put our coats on. We're all right, you know. Or however it works. Yeah. Uh, Bristol has quite a long history of, of performance poetry, and lots of great nights have come out of Bristol. And lots of great poets. Um, 
I'm going to ask that really awkward question. Do you, is there competition in, in Bristol between the open mind lights, or do you think it's a fairly fairly good no, I hate sharing milk. community? I've heard that milk is the worst <laughs> night ever. Um, I think poetry is so on the uprising. Like, mm. I first set up a poetry night in 2011. I think, or 10, mm. I think 11, called Shush It's Sunday, and people used to call it Shit Sunday. So, <laughs> yeah, it sounded like that's what it was called, but it wasn't. And um, back then, there just weren't poetry nights in Bristol. No. I say back, it sounds like years and years ago, but you know, it was a, it was an amount of time ago. And there weren't poetry nights, whereas nowadays, there are, there are, there are so many poetry nights, but equally... Performance poetry and poetry in general is rising and becoming a lot more mainstream and the audiences are getting bigger and their audiences from like comedy audiences and theatre audiences and I just feel like there's enough to go around in mm. terms of poets and audience. Mm. Mm. So I I yeah. personally never come across competition. I don't think there's a problem. I think sometimes there's um I think the first thing to say and to look at is the fact that we are all timetabling ourselves around each other like yeah. there's no way that I would ever suddenly say I'm not that I'd have to say anyway because it's not national level but I couldn't I wouldn't ever turn around and say you know what I think I'm going to put hammer and tongue which is always on a Wednesday like oh we're going to move that to a Monday when milk's on because that we wouldn't it wouldn't be beneficial to anybody because mm. we would you, know, yeah. you might lose part of your audience so we all kind of fit around each other with dates mm. which makes a difference um, but also, yeah, I mean, it is on the rise and people go to lots of different events. The great thing about poetry is that because people are performing from the audience, mm. you're never, even if you've heard one of the poems before or two of the poems before, it's really unlikely you're going to go to an event and have heard the whole lot before. It's not like yeah. a show that's being repeated. Yeah. So you'll always get something new from it. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, I do quite often look at other events and think, oh, what are they doing? I want to take, take good ideas. Mm. Um, I don't know if that counts as rivalry or I just... I that's a positive thing. Yeah. I think that that just shows the strength of the um, poetry nights around Bristol. The fact that more, could, more keep building up and I've never really felt rivalry. No. Like, I think that the community is just so supportive of each other. Mm. Every every event is offering a totally different thing as well. Mm. There are different things. Like, I know, because Raise the Bar is all just open mic and it isn't a slam and there's various different things that are slightly kind of tweaked mm. and different outcomes for it. And that, we ask each other's advice about things as well, you know, like I'll sort of say, how do you, why do you think that you had a big audience then or whatever? And so yeah. we're all sharing and help each other. Yeah. And people have asked me advice about setting up events in Bristol and I've, given I haven't I haven't said oh I think it's really important to make sure that everybody everybody's only ever allowed to drink black tea and <laughs> they it must start at four o'clock in the afternoon because nobody goes to poetry events now I never say anything like that yeah um, you want to help each other yes, actually, okay. actually to say be fair tea. I, I would exactly <laughs> I probably would say exactly that but in a way that they'd know I wasn't being serious yeah people are only allowed to come in the audience if they're on their periods um, <laughs> Do you think there's a there's anything missing from the the from Bristol at the moment in terms of, of what what is offered? Um, it's a good question. I like more poetic theatre. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Blas last weekend, Blas big weekend, <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> oh um, was uh, I think it's great. I think Blas is because they're pushing more towards you know putting on shows in Bristol and, and I saw some great ones at that yeah. weekend it was great um, and yeah I, I, I think more of that aspect is um, yeah. something just that really excites yeah. me I think as well it's kind of similar but sort of slightly different as well I think because performance poetry is so on the rise um, and it's kind of it's sort of branching out and becoming something that's bigger so is teen poetry and I don't know that I've seen that many events in Bristol that are particularly conducive to kind of having team teams poetry events so there was one that I know Jack Dean did that must have been about seven years ago um, but yeah like so where, but where people actually perform as teams which I guess is similar to kind of poetry theatre but actually because I think sometimes people well I know so Hammer and Tongue at the national event they always they make so we've always had to we always had to do it as a Bristol team 
And often it was like, a, oh no, we've all got to work together. And I think it's actually not because we all like each other. Like, oh, I can't handle with Rebecca. It's all truth comes out. Yeah. No, it was a case of like we've got to write a piece together, and it's different. Um, but I think that actually there are certain people who would really like really um, grow in that area and that it's a different art mm. um, but it's still a performance poetry type of art and it would be nice if there was something that could kind of cater for that or at least allow that I mean I'd let a team come on and perform but it's not all, almost people. not encouraged so much or just not known about it it's a new thing yeah because I don't see that in Bristol no, no. Yeah. and there's a market for each other yeah, maybe doing it. <laughs> well, maybe I should do it if I if I set up a little Bristol team poetry slam. Then maybe you guys could be like my team poetry leaders, and then we've got four teams. I'll have one team. You guys have to bring a team, and we'll do it across. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. yeah. So if you're listening, then and you want to join team poetry, team chat. Team Tommy. Team Chad. <laughs> um, uh, team North. I'm Team North. That's what we're doing. Team West. <laughs> um, then um, just get a hold of us after after you listen to this podcast. I quite like that idea. But I feel like something like that would um, require development and uh, a space in, in, yeah. in able to, to do that. Yeah. I, I would like to see more creative spaces in Bristol. So London has something called the uh, DIY Centre. Um, which is which is basically set up as it was kind of like a an anarchist centre in the sense that people it's a creative space but it belongs to everybody um, and everyone other community pays for it it's um, kind of thing um, and I would like to see maybe some more spaces like that to be able to do things like yeah, that and develop yeah nice have, have the arena yeah yeah because it's so hard to be like oh yeah we'll all meet up and go to the pub to write a poem and that's just not the place to write a poem yeah. Yeah. there's a space <laughs> in St Nick's Market that I used to use for office when I was the director of a um, uh, applied theatre action initiative which was an organisation that worked with spoken word and poetry and young people but I've also used it since for rehearsals and just contributed like um, tea and coffee and they're a community yeah. based okay. space so I know that is potentially available it was old council buildings yeah. were taken over by theatre organisations yeah. but yeah that would be good wouldn't it to yeah. have a shared space that you could use at any point yeah because yeah. I think quite often when there are spaces like that it's just that people don't know about them and mm. then they end up closing mm-hmm. yeah. and it's it's such a shame they sort of yeah. they yeah. lay there dormant to like only a few people and then they end up closing because there's no one else who yeah has mm. even heard about it and those mm. kind of spaces are so valuable because like with what we do it's so important to collaborate and to experiment and yeah. i think sometimes with the like when there's nights that do slams or open mics even though you're welcome to come along it no matter what level your poetry's at, you might feel like you need to develop. Mm. So it's so important to have that space to develop, to take those risks and learn together. Yeah. And as a writer, because I teach creative writing at the moment anyway, and um, and the same from doing my Masters in it, I think that the opportunities to be able to collaborate with other writers, even if it's not, like, even if it's not to sort of in a formal environment, to be able to go somewhere where you know there are going to be people and be able to swap your work and share, yeah, is so vital. important. Like, vital. Yeah. There's no way, you, I don't think... I think possibly when I was younger and I used to just write out, like, my, when I was Hope's age, I was, like, nine, and I'd just write poems and that would be, like, the first draft was my only draft. Yeah. And now it's, like, even when you're preparing a book, I still look at poems in my book and I think, oh, why did I put, like, the have instead of had and, like, just little things that aren't necessarily, like, grammatical problems, but I know there's a little twist and sometimes you just want to keep editing. Mm. But actually just being able to share... I mean, at the moment I share work on email with friends I've got some friends from my masters actually and we'll kind of ping work backwards and forwards to each other and then with very different styles but again that's good as well because it's it's opening yourself up to different genres working within it it's all really important so yeah a collaborative space like that would be excellent yeah yeah. so if you had somewhere that you was really safe and you could almost just be like if you feel like giving feedback here's a box of things that need feedback and you could put your stuff in or take mm-hmm. stuff out. problems that you end up with there I guess are copyright and how you kind of how you would yeah. monitor that yeah. but um, you could run that you could use the space for rehearsal for yeah. example yeah. for the group poems mm. 
But you could also have sort of workshop workshopping groups yeah. where you got together yeah. at this particular time, mm. this particular date, and just workshop. I would find that workshopping so for me useful. Just been, I don't think I would have created any of my the books, and it's just been absolutely vital yeah. in terms of my. No, I agree. Like all of my Bridport shortlists, I'm sure, would not have existed if it weren't for workshopping. Mm-hmm. Just, just that having a self awareness of who you are as a writer as well, but also really importantly, helping other people with theirs. Mm-hmm. And one of the, so I'm teaching it at the moment, and one of the things that the students always say is, you know, first of all, they come in and they just want feedback on their own work, and at the end of the year, they're like, oh. Oh, I want to like, kind of read your stuff. And they know who's going to give what type of feedback and what kind of writing, but that's all about knowing who you are. So when people say, who are you as a writer? You don't have to be like, um, somebody who does it in my bedroom. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, create a, a space like that would be brilliant. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would bring the community together a lot more as well. And um, Malika, I was going to talk to you about um, warm milk. Yes. Um, which is kind of touches on that. Yeah, so that's like um, a project I have in the works at the moment, which is um, basically poetry for people who don't necessarily always feel comfortable on stage. Um, people who are quiet, people who think they're more cagey but still would like to share their work. Yeah. Um, and I want it to be not just a performance, but also sort of a big lead up to it. So yeah, workshopping, sharing your work. Um, building a community, a nice warm community, and sharing stuff in a, a nice quiet way that doesn't have to be bombastic, doesn't need to be performative, it just needs to be your words. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you don't think that it's a performance poem. Yeah. It's just your truth and what you want to say. And I think that's really important. Like, if you... I see so many people going to do slams and they're like, oh, but it's not a slam poem. Oh, I write, I write really short poems, so I don't think I can perform. It's like, but it's a poem, and it deserves to be heard. Like your voice deserves to be heard just as much as someone who goes rah, 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 and smashes a slam. Like they're they're both so valid, and they're both just as beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, deserve to be heard. So that's the sort of idea behind warm milk at the moment, and it's still. We're sort of searching for the right venue because I want it to be accessible. Like we said earlier, it's quite hard to find yeah. accessible venues. Um, I need it to be quiet. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the general idea of it. And I think I, I kind of thought of it because I've always been described as a quiet person. And when I first started doing poetry, I was much I was kind of followed that slam style that I see on Facebook. But now I'm much more comfortable with the pauses and the slight changes in my tone of voice. Like, mm. I'm, I have a quiet voice. Yeah. And I want other people to know that it's okay to have a quiet voice. You still have power. Mm. And that's what Warm Milk is hopefully going to be about. <laughs> yeah. When I started getting into poetry and performing poetry, it was all about slams and spoken word and performing and mm. getting as far away from page poets as possible and now like kind of six years later um yeah six seven years later I'm like kind of like oh but actually I really really like page poetry mm. and reading That's a lot for me as well. mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. um and and yeah like you're saying you know there's these two um, like opposites almost in, in terms of like the, the poetry they're doing but they're both really valid and they both need a space yeah. I guess in, in, especially yeah. in Bristol because there's so many people doing wonderful things in Bristol I think, I think we need to maybe try and get I think there definitely are like slammy type poems mm. and there are definitely poems that would work more on the page but I don't I think that there's such a big distinction between them that so many people make and I think in a way that's a bit of a problem because actually it doesn't have to be that distinction so warm milk sounds brilliant because it's still kind of providing that Mm. arena for people in which to share their poem to perform their poems that aren't necessarily slam winners I know with Hammer and Tongue with the support artists I try and book I I try and complement 
the the main headline artist. So if I know that the headliner is a quiet performer, I might try and get a more slammy initial one because what I want to show I'm very conscious that we have a lot of students who come or some younger people and stuff and I want to show the, the breadth of what a yeah. performance poet can do. Mm. But you are absolutely right, it's so difficult. If you could do a set, it's fine, you can do your slow ones and your quiet ones, but if you if you've got a three minute slam spot what do you do? Mm. Do you just do one or do you do two or three? Because it never scores well if you do more than... Mm. I, I can't. I can never see the benefit to doing more than one in your slam slot time because yeah. yeah. you can just bring down a good score. You're never going to bring up one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky. And I've had so many people sort of come to me and say, like, oh, I want to perform, but I, I don't, this isn't a slam poem. And I want to be like, oh, but you can do it anyway. But... You know, it's it's then they'll go up and they won't get any, they won't get through to the next round. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, but it's such a good poem. Someone can come up and do a poem that's like a minute long, and I'll be like, that's exquisite. That's so beautiful. But it won't get the points. Yeah. Yeah. And then that person is disheartened. And it's yeah, and it's yeah. so awful when that kind yeah. of affects them, especially when their work is good. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need to do slams, we need to do like a one-off slam, it's only a minute long. Yeah. A minute long and your voice isn't allowed to go higher than <laughs> <laughs> decibels. Yeah. No repetition. Yeah. No rhyme. Right, yeah. it's like a, like a quiet slam. Yeah. 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 Quiet slam. Yeah. I think that, that was yeah. in Edinburgh, I think. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I, I think that's quite cool as well because it, it would challenge people who are like that. Yeah. To consider the words and how they sort of um, portray themselves in, in a different way. Yeah. Like, I find it fascinating when I see a performer um, do a poem that I know well in a completely different way to how they usually do. If they do it quieter, if they know that they have to kind of take their time with it, it's fascinating to see how yeah. that can change a poem. Yeah. And that's such a good challenge, I think. Like, quite often when I've done workshops, um, that's been an element, like take a poem that you're really used to and perform it in a way that you never thought you would. Mm. It's really helpful for your performance yeah. not to get stuck in that box and be like, especially when you, you perform sets a lot and you perform the same poems a lot, you don't want to fall into performing in the same way every single time because then it gets to a point where you're not feeling it anymore. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. It's good to experiment with, um, with different ways. I've seen... I've had this one person in particular who I remember seeing slam and would listen to the poem, but when I saw it on page, on the page, I was like, this is an absolutely excellent poem. But when I'd heard it performed, because it was performed in such a slammy way, I was like, yeah, it's just another slam poem. And um, and actually, when you looked at it on page, I was like, this is really well-crafted, it's, really, it's a really strong poem. But sometimes I think people fall back but it's like but it, it helps when you get in you're like let's do the slam way and it's like mm. copying it's but it's very childish it's like let's try and rap let's try and do this you know we'll emulate what we want to do and then and I think it's a standard thing with performance artists or spoken word artists that they start off doing the spoken word and they start off just like you were saying you did and I think yeah. to a certain extent I did mm. And then gradually, as you get more, yeah, with the fingers, yeah, and stuff, um, and the, the slight London twang that you just don't. Yeah, use. that's it. Or sometimes, I mean, I've heard American accents. I'm like, where's that come from? Like, yeah. really? And then they talk outside, and I'm just like, no, and it irritates me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but actually, then I think as you get more confident as a performer, you're more confident to take those pauses. And yeah. Well, on the podcast that we did with Vanessa and Hannah, Vanessa was saying actually that she doesn't think that people should do slams until they have been performing and writing for a few years um, to make the idea of the slam competition more of a competition than a kind of open mic introducing people to the to yeah. the to, to the format of it. The benefit of the slam, I mean, we've seen it time is that it can really propel an artist yeah. into such a confidence a boost yeah out of the art form it's yeah like it's a huge confidence boost so it is a real gateway at this point into into the career mm. and, and you know early on the artists need that mm. but equally it's a pressure i never really did the slam thing because i think from the beginning i just I'm not very good with competition. And I'm really bad at it. Being judged and judging, yeah. so I think I always kind of stayed clear of entering yeah. that world. But of course, I have done some, 
with the years. Mm. And um, I love watching them for the spectacle of it, but as time's gone on, I can see the kind of, no offence, but the kind of detrimental nature of them as well to artists, mm. especially who are just starting out. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the effect it can have, stop people writing, the effect on their confidence, and I just do think that's such mm. a sad thing. Yeah. And maybe it would be that if people were going into it a bit later after many years of performing and so yeah. on, they'd have more. I think it's um it's a nice idea. I do think it's a shame. Like I always try and make sure that I talk to performers afterwards if they if if I think that they you know their confidence has been knocked. Yeah. But you know, and they, as a host, all you can do is talk about how arbitrary it is and how mm. it doesn't mean anything and you know it's a leg up and try and make it a leg up for those who are lucky enough to get through and to not make it a knockdown for the ones who don't yeah. but I do think it would be very difficult one of the problems with performing a lot before you before you go into slams is that actually the way that you get gigs and performances so the way that I mean I did slams at the beginning and I did I did the Cheltenham All-Stars and things and I did really yeah. well in them well, I had actually been writing poetry for years and performing abroad, but never doing a slam. Yeah. And then the slams were what helped me then get gigs. Mm. And so it would be, I think it would be very difficult to be a performer who doesn't slam first because people want to know what your credentials are. Mm. And if your credentials are lots of publications, which is your other option, really, with poetry, then people aren't interested in that in a spoken word environment. So, yeah, you kind yeah. of view it that you're in a catch-22 situation. Yeah. We're going to um, move on in a minute to talk to Rebecca about her, her new book, which is very exciting. Um, but uh, very quickly, when is the next Milk event? No, I don't know this. Oh, um, I don't know. My it's every third Monday. I know that much. I should probably write these down so that when I do podcasts I can remember and say... Yes. yes. I don't know what I'm doing. The 17th. I knew that. So the next milk is on the 17th. Oh, I did know that because Henry Raby's coming. Yeah, Henry. Yes. Um, which is Easter Monday, so it's going to be a chocolate milk. I'm going to give out some chocolate. <laughs> I'm very milk. excited. Yeah. I love Henry. Henry yeah. is one of the greatest human beings ever. He's, <laughs> he's really great. Yeah, that's the 17th. And then I've also got um, a big event at the Tobacco Factory on the 23rd. So that's on that Sunday, um, which is like a big mega one with Holland Gnish. Uh, Inua Ellens and Amy Leon, nice. um, which is going to be cool. And then I also always try and bring in local artists when I do the big ones. Because the whole thing with milk, like when I started it, I wanted to give the same platform, the same respect and everything to more established artists, to sort of local artists. Um, so I've also got Eve Piper, who is brilliant. She's... Um, I think she's the president of Spoken Word at University of Bristol. Cool. And whenever I see her, I'm like, and Chris White, who is actually Exeter based, but he used to live in Bristol, and he's just, I, I don't know, he's like so unique. I don't know anyone who writes like Chris does. Um, he's kind of got sort of little strings of tin key in there, but also there's like, I don't know, this kind of melancholy. Craziness, oh, he's, he's great. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Eve Piper won one of the, the um, Hammer and Tongues, and it was the first time I'd ever seen her, and I was like, whoa, who's this girl who's just amazing. on stage and gone? Yeah. And it was a clear win, and I was just like, um, not that obviously that means anything, because everybody else in that show also did very, very well, mm. but it was it was amazing to see somebody <laughs> go on the stage who I'd never seen before at all, yeah. who did feel so accomplished. It's one of the best feelings, I think, as a promoter, when you when you have a slam or you have an open mic and someone comes up to yeah. you and you're like, oh, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course, and then you're just floored. And they're like, who are you? Yeah. That's Why are you not? I think Eve is, is um, amazing because she's got so much presence on stage and that's the thing when we're talking about slams like she's not she doesn't do it she doesn't perform in that slammy way she just seems so it's comfortable it's so it? comfortable yeah yeah she's yeah great and that's you know what makes an amazing poet I mean like you can tell who they are when they're on stage yeah I think she's she's got that she's got that special thing 
That's my huge bugbear about um, performance poetry. And I'm just going to get it out because it's my constant bugbear and you can edit it out or whatever I don't like. But, oh, I hate it when poets go up on stage and they do these poems and you really go along with them. Mm. And then they say something in the poem or they tell you something afterwards and the whole thing wasn't true. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> how can you? Like, I, oh, it's my, I saw a guy once in a, a brilliant poem all about how, you know, why should women have to shave? You know, lots of, you know, pubic hair is great. It's not a problem. Like, they shouldn't have to. Da, 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 da. And his girlfriend just never bothers. And he's like, don't do it. It's all good. Like, have underarm hair, blah, 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 blah. And I was, at the end of it, I was like, yeah, really like you. You're really great. And I was talking to him in the green room afterwards. And I was like, wow, you know, that, your girl, that's quite cool, like, progressive for you. And, you know, your, what's your girlfriend's name? And he's like, oh, I haven't got a girlfriend. And I was like, oh, was that poem about a previous girlfriend then that you let be hairy? Like, and, it, and then I started to get the thing where I was like, let her be hairy. I was like, oh, okay, let's be careful. And he was like, no, and actually I prefer clean shaven. I just thought it would go down well with poetry audience. And I literally nearly punched him. Keep, keep like, that in this, Yeah, this is, this is what I don't like about slams is that you have, I, I've seen it so many times, it really pisses me off that men think that they can write poems sob stories about women so that they can win slams yeah. it's not big it's not clever it's actually really damaging and yeah. a lot of the time it's about really sensitive subjects that you've got no right talking about um at least give a trigger warning before you start the poem because you know some women in the audience may have been through some of the stuff that you're carelessly talking about yeah yeah, I um, Melanie Branton wrote a poem about it. Um, it's called Another Slam Poem, or this is a sl no a slam winning poem. Yeah. Slam mm. winning and it's poem. like, and because it's you know they're like think of all the worst things that have happened, and let's like write all of these yeah. into a slam in this particular way. Yeah, because that's what will win you a slam. Because yeah. sometimes it does feel a bit like that, and then it you does, find yeah. out because it's not even real. Yeah, and I just you feel I cheated. Yeah, it's like mm. you've read a really good book. And then you, you know, you find out afterwards, and you think it's true all the way through, and then you find out afterwards it was all made up. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, do you want to tell us about the next Hammer and Tongue event before we go and speak to Rebecca? Yeah, it's on Wednesday, next Wednesday, which is the first Wednesday in God, April, April <laughs> um, which I think, if I'm right on my dates, it's the 5th of April. It's at the Smoke and Mirrors Bar, which is a really, really, really lovely venue. Um, and there'll be a slam. Our headliner is Kevin Cadwallender. I think that's how you say it. But he's big. He did a lot of shows in Edinburgh. He's from Edinburgh. Um, he's a big name in the poetry scene. And surprise guest artist, support artist this month, is the big boss himself, Steve Larkin, uh, who is going to come and woo us with some of the stuff that he is going to be taking to Canada when he goes to the festivals in Canada this year. So it's a bit male heavy, so we really yeah. want some female slams. I don't like to do that, but I couldn't say No, anything that box. I say about that, I'll just edit because I don't want to get in trouble with no, no, that's it. Well, I don't want to get in trouble with Steve. <laughs> Leave it in. Steve, you're on. It's two men. I don't normally do it. Well, I've um, had that before. Like, like, it's happened that I've had two men featured um, I've made it an all-female slam. Yeah, yeah. yeah you've got, you just got to sway the books. Well, basically, know. I want women to come and slam because we've got two male artists this month and we tried to not let that happen, but it has happened this month. So please, female slammers, come and do your stuff. Let's, that, let's, just, let's just give them something that they have to... They're, they're the set artists. Let's make sure that they have to do a really good job. So, yeah, that, that's our... The Wednesday 5th of April in the Smoke and Mirrors Bar arrive at half past seven if you want to slam otherwise arrive at ten to eight cool great so we're now going to move on to the second segment of the burning eye podcast um where we um talk to a poet about the release of their new book which i'm holding my hand Ooh. um so it's the second collection by rebecca tantoni it's called all the journeys i never took um rebecca do you want to kind of Tell us about the, the making of the collection. Yeah, so it got delivered this morning by the postman, and I didn't know it was... I kind of forgot it was coming today. Obviously, I'm very aware it was coming soon. And um, I thought it was a gift, because it was recently my birthday, and my boyfriend launched me a couple of books online. So I thought it was another book from somewhere online. And then I opened it, and it was the books. So it's yeah. been a really nice start to my day to have it in, in my hands. 
I created this during my MA at Fastball University, so it was a year in the writing, and it's a collection that explores what home is, and it starts with family, it goes into breakups, ex-boyfriends, uh, new relationships, politics, and um, travel, trying to look at, look at what home is, if it's a concept if it's a, a place, a person, a feeling. Cool. And you did a, a show that, um, of it as well. Do you, um, I didn't actually get to make the show, but... Well, luckily, Jen, the show is just starting. <gasps> so we did a scratch in October in Bristol and we got Arts Council funding to tour it between uh, February and October this year. So we've got nine more dates in the diary, two in Bath in May, um, we've got some in Devon and Somerset in London. So yeah, you can come to another show. Yeah. So is it? will it still be that one-on-one -on -one exactly. concept of it? Yeah. So um, it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's immersive, and it's writing from the book, but it's also um, a staged and written piece of theatre. So it takes direct poetry but it also has parts in between that sort of link it to make it a theatre piece. Okay so um, you produced that with, is that Lucy English that you did that yeah, with? Yeah she produced it and I work with a director called Raquel Messenger who's a dance director and she co-founded a company called Lost Dog which is amazing and a designer called Cinema Fredericks who designed the show so it's an all-female team yeah. which is really nice and I yeah, I feel very honoured to be working with you. Yeah. I've got a cold, I sound really odd. That's fine. I'll, yeah, Rebecca does have a cold. She's wrapped in a Can you get a blanket. Yeah, take away the bits for her? Oh, I'll, I'll try with my really basic editing skills to <laughs> to get rid of the, the sniffles. But okay. I, honestly, it adds character, so okay. I think you're fine. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I found the concept for your show really interesting because it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, why did you decide to do it like that? Um, I think being a poetry promoter over the years, and obviously a performer, I just saw the rise of, of the art form and the audiences got bigger and the poetry in its way got less intimate, I think, mm. in my personal opinion. And I just wanted to find ways to like bring that intimacy back to poetry. And I'm really interested in experimental theatre anyway, and performance art. And yeah, so it sort of sprung from that, that desire to bring intimacy back into my work. Yeah. And conversations with the coffee with Raquel, who was my housemate at the time, who's the director, to sort of find ways that we could do that. And we came up with the idea for all the journeys I never took and just yeah rehearsed and practiced and made mistakes and eventually developed something that I think we're really proud of. Yeah yeah I was going to ask actually how you found your director because um, I was I'm considering I, I went to see Cecilia Knapp's show Finding Home um, and it really inspired me to write a show and, and now I'm like oh so I'm like really curious to know how people know <coughs> know each other and things. So she yeah, was your, your housemate. House That's mate. great. And that just sort of happened. I've always read poems to friends. I'm sure Ooh. you three do it as well. Just like yeah. phone calls or just like a friend pops in and you're like, can I just try this poem? <laughs> so I would always do that to her over coffee. So I was doing my MA as well. So I'd be yeah. like, oh, I just wrote this poem. Can I read it? And then, yeah, we just started talking about ideas to kind of stage it. And our initial ideas of what it was going to be to what it is now are so different. But, yeah, knowing that I had a director in the house anyway, it just kind of naturally emerged. Yeah. came about that way. So I'm lucky in that sense. But, yeah, maybe just put a shout-out on. So Malika and I both have books coming out this year. And Tommy, um, your book with Burning My Books came out a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but Rebecca, this is your second collection with us. Um, how does, I know obviously this book was um, part of doing an MA, but sort of how did it compare with writing the first book? Was it more of a challenge? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
I was tutored throughout this process by Tim Liade and Lucy English, and having their support throughout has been amazing. It was a challenge. Mm. It was a challenge because, you know, I know we have talked about this line between page and performance, but I decided to do the MA because I really wanted to explore form, and I hadn't before. Like, I came into performance poetry through hip-hop, my love of hip-hop, not being a hip-hop artist. And therefore, even though I studied creative writing um, for my BA, I, yeah, I just felt like the form of poetry I never really knew. Mm. And a lot of my writing in my first collection was prose, prose, mm. poetic prose. So um, it was a challenge. It was a constant challenge during the MA, putting this together, but a really good one. And um, I guess it was just different in that sense that I was really committed to like creating sonnets and yeah, just looking at form in a lot more depth and detail than I had before. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, I like um, um, So I just wanted to know if there was a a concept to it in terms of. Theme. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's I mean, the word. <laughs> there is, as I said, like the search for home, which. Yeah is definitely something that kind of runs throughout it and I started off with the idea of my experience from a very young age has been looking for um, answers through the men in my life and that started off with my father and that went into sort of religion and priests and going to a Catholic primary school and always being fascinated in you know, religion and that primarily being through, you know, male figures and then, yeah. you know, through romantic relationships. And the older I've got, the more I've sort of been deleting those men from, not from my life in any way, you know, my relationship with my father is stronger than ever. Um, as my romantic relationships are healthier, my relationship to what I perceive God to be. But mm. I think... I've just realised that I don't need that middle man to like truly understand myself and the world around me. So I think a lot of the book as well has been about sort of taking out the middle man to try and understand what God is or to try and develop a greater relationship to myself and the world around me. So I suppose it explores that as well in, um, in some detail. Right. And the the cover's done by the same artist who did Anna Higgy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, it's a she good cover. She came around and um, I sort of told her the concept of the book and I said it's, you know, it's called All the Journeys I Never Took and it looks at travel and politics and, and she just came around to my house and asked me to like lay out on the floor loads of objects that meant something to me. So I've got like photo of my mum, the front cover, and photos of my best friends, and my Sufi teacher, Sheikh Ahmed, and like, yeah, my passport, and different bits mm. and bobs that I've picked up over the years, and she just drew them all and slapped it on the front, yeah. front and back of the book. It's a great cover. It's cool. It's really, it? really nice. Mm -hmm. and, the, and from a publisher point of view as well, the, the layout of the book is beautiful. Mm. <laughs> it's really nice. We followed yeah. the layout which we we um, worked with a designer called Graham on the first collection, Talking Around to the Dust. And um, yeah, it's such a nice layout that we're just moving to for, mm. this, for this collection as well. Okay. Yeah. I like the fact that um, it seems to be separated into the sections. So you're talking about it as being like a journey, um, and yet the sections all sort of follow a journey as well. And if you read the sections through, they're sort of like, you know, got then, here, now, lost, far and near. Found. It's almost like a kind of poem in itself, like a very simple mm. thing, but to break it down into those sections and have it like that is nice. And I've, oh, I've really, recently I've really started um, responding well to books, poetry books that kind of do go through a journey in yeah. some sense. Like um, Sharon Olds. They do, but then like sleep. Yeah, because it's like the whole. But, yeah, the entire <laughs> the entire collection and just the way that it runs through and just looking through this and reading some of the work, it's really nice. Mm. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. <clears throat> Jemima's book, all done day. Oh, Jemima's book is one of my my favorite books that we we did last year. I love one that of my book. favorite. It's gorgeous. 
Yeah, it's great. Really, really recommend it. It's it's really good. She doesn't use um, there's no titles for the poem. That it's just dedications to people, nice. and some of them don't have any dedications. Some of them are just kind of thing. It's all like about memory and music and and, and space and yeah. it's, it's yeah, really it's good. Concept as well. Mm. It's all, all damn day, and it's split up into. She she noticed. I remember chatting to her about it. She said she noticed that quite often she mentions the time of day that the poem is taking place. Yeah. And so she's kind of split them up and like read through <coughs> all her work and put them as like the mornings and the evenings. So when where is your so have you started your tour with it? No, you're not, not. Yeah, the tour started. We had a date oh, great. in Salisbury in February, and now it's it's kind of spaced out, but it's running as we speak. Great. So um, so where's the next one? It's in May in Bath. Okay. Yeah. Great. First of May Bath Festival. Twenty first of May Bath Festival. Great. Cool. And um, your launch is on the 22nd of April. In the afternoon. Yes. 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 I love you all. I love there. accessible I times. I know you might be in the What day is that? It's Saturday afternoon. Okay, that's good. So mm. you can bring your kids. <clears throat> and it's in a really beautiful space that I run a workshop in, um, which overlooks like the allotments and it's got like a glass front and it feels oh. like you're on holiday when you're there. It's really nice. Nice. And I'm gonna buy shitloads of kettle chips. A friend Don Coyote is gonna perform and he's just got this like gruff voice and amazing writing ability combined and a guitar. He's really great. So um great. Cool. Awesome. I think we'll uh, wrap it up there for now because Malika's uh, got a head off. But um, so there's three launches happening this month. There's Rebecca's on the 22nd. Um, there's Jeremy Toombs's uh, one at the Arts House um, in Stokes Croft on the 21st. He's the 22nd. Oh, it is the well, 22nd as well. In the evening. In the evening. So you can fit two book launches in one day, um, which I'm sure you will because both are great. Um, and Jeremy's book, uh, who knows, is available from our web store. And then uh, I have a book launch that's happening on the 19th of April, which is a few days before, at Hydra Bookshop. Um, it's um, free or, or, you know, come along. Um, Lisa Harper, who's the artwork for my book, is going to be selling some of her um, prints and badges and, and things like that. And um, Henry Raby's going to be doing some poems as well. Um, so yeah, that's it's exciting. Week. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a week of launching, a launching week. I like it. It's good. Um, so thank you, Malika, Tommy, and Rebecca for having a chat with me today. Um, as usual, check out all of our social medias for any news coming up. Thank you. Bye.